0: Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings, and we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I don't know about you all, um, but I've been really tired the last few weeks. I mean, definitely physically, you know, like just all these changes and sleep disruptions and all of that. I've, I've been physically tired, but I think way more than that. I've been emotionally tired, spiritually tired, mentally tired. And I know that it's not just me because every single person that I talk to is expressing the same feelings of exhaustion, Some of us are tired because we've been called essential workers and we can't stop going to work even though we need a break. Some of us are tired because we've been called non-essential and there's a, a part of us that really hurts when we hear that. We've lost some of our kind of daily identity. Some of us have lost jobs and roles and all of those things. We're tired because of it. Some are tired because we're stuck at home and we're bored. Some of us are tired because we're stuck at home with kids, not bored. Some are tired because we're so worried, worried about our health and our finances and our loved ones and our economy and our whole world. I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired of coronavirus too. (laughs) I'm tired of COVID-19 dominating absolutely everything. I'm tired of the fact that even though it seems that no one really knows exactly what's going on, that hasn't kept everyone from speaking authoritatively about what they think all the time. I'm tired of Zoom calls instead of getting to have coffee with people. I'm tired of constantly being pushed to watch a screen all the time. I'm tired of the never-ending barrage of content coming my way. You know what else I'm tired of? I'm tired of a thousand different articles telling me why I'm tired. I know why I'm tired. This is a crazy season. So just rest assured that I'm not going to spend the rest of our time together telling you why you're tired. I'm I'm not even going to spend the rest of our time together telling you how to fix it. I'm not even sure it's fixable right now. But what I want to do this morning is talk to us about priorities. You see, with all of this going on, No matter our station in life, each of us have a a limited amount of resources, especially during a time like this. So what I want to talk to you about is where we should be investing our time and our energy in this season and and really in every season. We have limited resources. Where do we invest them? That's what I want to be talking to you about this morning. This is week three of a series that we have been calling New Normal. And to look at how followers of Jesus should be living our lives and what we as the church should be focusing on during this time of pandemic. And when I say the church, right, I'm not talking about a place. I'm not talking about a location, right? I'm not talking about this studio where we're streaming from right now or the middle school where we usually meet or any of the church buildings that dot the landscape of our country. I'm talking about people. See, the church has taken various forms over the centuries. We've gathered in in tiny homes and huts and in huge arenas and everywhere in between. Now, as crazy and kind of apocalyptic as it sounds, most of us gather online. But no matter what it has looked like or where we've gathered for the last 2,000 years, the church has had some commonalities. From the very first church in Jerusalem to our church here in Austin, some things have remained the same. Since its inception, the church has shared both a common identity and common practices through wars, famines, persecution, plagues, and yes, even through pandemics, regardless of where we've been or what's been happening around us, these identity, this identity and these practices have remained steadfast. And here at Restore, we are convinced that this new normal for us today means a return to emphasizing who the church has always been, its identity and what the church has always done, its practices. And we're doing this by looking at the very first church from the New Testament book of Acts. In week one of this series, we talked about this identity, this first church, who they were. And we learned that the first church was a place where age, race, gender, socioeconomic status, background, and lifestyle, where all of those things became secondary. Everything that usually separated people paled in comparison to the thing that united them. That was the Holy Spirit that was inside of them. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. The Holy Spirit doesn't care who you are, what you've done, where you've come from. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. The first church understood this. And they put it into practice, y'all, in ways that were truly radical in their time and place. You see, they brought together men and women Old and young, slave and free, rich and poor, citizens and immigrants, people of every race, class, lifestyle, and background. And for the first time in recorded history, these radically different people all stood together on equal footing as a part of the same family. It was so radical that first century historians tell us that the Roman government, that's who was in charge of this area at the time and ruled over them, they were totally baffled at this first church. They had no idea how this incredibly diverse group of people came together, much less why they liked each other so much and why they were equal in everything, why they treated each other like family. The first church was the most radically inclusive group of people the world had ever seen. That's who they were, and it's exactly who we should be too. It was their identity, and it should be the identity of any group who calls themselves a church today. That was who they were. That was their identity. Then last week, we began looking at their practices. And there are four practices that have been a part of the church for thousands of years. Acts 2.42 lists them. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Last week, we talked about prayer, what that meant and how that looked. And then this week we are going to talk about the practice of fellowship. And I know I get it talking about fellowship to be blunt seems kind of cruel and ironic during a time like this. How can we put fellowship into practice when we have to be physically distant from each other? I think it starts by understanding what fellowship really means, what what it actually is. The New Testament, you may know, was originally written in Greek, the language spoken by most of the Roman world in the first century. And the word for fellowship here in Acts is actually one that you may have heard of before. It's koinonia. It's kind of made its way into a lot of the kind of Western Christian circles, koinonia. And as I said a second ago, that discussing how to put fellowship into practice seems a little ironic and cruel because koinonia usually means being physically present with one another. That's what we think of. In fact, in other places, koinonia is actually translated as contact, two things coming together. See, when people would shake hands and they would make an agreement together, the contact between their palms was actually called koinonia. But that's not all that it means. In Greek culture, the word was often used for business partnerships too. It's a little different from the way we do business partnerships today. You see, in our world, business owners have shares, right, which essentially amounts to how much of any given organization that you own, whatever percentage that is yours. At any point, you can decide to sell part of your shares or all your shares. If you sell all your shares, you're effectively ending your involvement as an owner in that business. But in the first century Greco-Roman culture, it wasn't that easy. It didn't work like that at all. You didn't have shares. You actually shared You didn't have shares of a company, you literally shared ownership of a business. Meaning if two people owned a business, it wasn't that one owned 50% and the other owned 50%, it was that both people owned 100%. They completely shared ownership. If something happened to one owner, it happened to all the owners. It was a commitment that took legal proceedings to get out of it. It wasn't just co-owning a business as partners, it was more like family. This is the kind of koinonia fellowship that defined the first church. They didn't have shares. They literally shared everything. They were one big family. In fact, it's the most literal translation of koinonia in our language today would probably be a place of sharing. If we try to take the original language, the original word, and apply it to our language and culture today, that's what it would be. Koinonia, a place of sharing. Koinonia is a place where you share and, and where you are shared with. You see, true fellowship isn't ever one sided. It's a place where you give and receive a variety of things. It's where you give and receive love, where you give and receive kindness and compassion and help. It's where you give and receive party invitations, it's where you give and receive food and drinks. It's where you give money when you have some extra, and it's where you receive money when you are a little short. Fellowship is where we share, not just our resources, but y'all, our very lives with each other. We share ups and downs. We share prayer requests. We share needs. We share hopes. We share dreams. This is how Paul, the persecutor of the original church that turned into actually a church planter, described fellowship. When he was writing to the church he started in the Greek city of Thessalonica, here's what he says. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. We didn't just share the good news about Jesus and him uh, dying and being resurrected from the dead. We shared our very lives. We had koinonia fellowship with you. The church has always been a place defined by fellowship. A place where we share our very lives with each other. You see, that was one of the things that made the first church stand out so much from the culture around it. Listen to how the author of Acts describes their fellowship. It says, All the believers met together in one place and shared, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Two terms there that get mentioned over and over and over again. The first church was together and the first church shared. They were together and they shared. That's what fellowship is. That's what koinonia looks like, coming together and sharing. That's what the first church was about, and it's what we should be about, too. Now listen, I'm the first to admit that coming together and sharing, it looks a little bit different right now, maybe different than it ever has looked in the history of the church before. But in the age of coronavirus, I actually don't think that makes fellowship less important. I think it makes it more important. We have to further prioritize people, relationships, connectedness, and sharing in a time like this, maybe than ever before. That's why our church family is doing this. We are prioritizing coming together and sharing in this season. I want to tell you a little bit about what it looks like, how we're sharing. So we're giving away financial resources to people in need, thousands and thousands of dollars so far. We've partnered with uh, another local church to create a food pantry and deliver groceries to people. So far, we've been able to help over 500 people through that. When the virus first hit and everything began closing, we opened up our studio here at the offices where I am right now to let churches and ministries and nonprofits have a free place to record videos. On top of that, our tech and production team that's in the other room right now volunteered their time to help anyone who came in. We've mobilized a team of more than 30 people that stay busy running errands, providing transportation, delivering meals, and a bunch of other things to anyone who needs help. And Let me tell you my favorite part about all of that. None of it was my idea, and I don't lead any of it. This is the church coming together and sharing like it was always meant to do, like God designed it to do. People like Mark and CG and Kendall and Chase and Matt and Joe and Jacqueline and Amanda and Jake and Jerry, Emily, Jessica, Grace, Tim, Chuck, Angie, Jen, Chris, Kelly, Maudie, Sonia, Asong, Abba, Jason, Catherine, Caroline, Kelsey, Crystal, Julie, Adrian, Amy, Sarah, and so many others have stepped up and they've shared. The names probably sounded a little bit different, but I bet Peter, who helped lead that first church, could stand up and rattle them off, man, just like I did. He could stand up and say, these are all of the people that are coming together and sharing, giving of themselves, of their time, of their resources. You know why? Because that's who we've always been. That's who we are always supposed to be. We share, we come together and we share. Let me tell you about how we're prioritizing coming together as well. We do that right here every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. during our Sunday gatherings and then all throughout the week during our Restore groups. Coming together at the same time has been one of the big reasons we've tried to keep this experience right here live every week. So we're truly all together at the same time, even though we're physically separated. But listen, I'll be the first one to admit that it's not the same as it was before, in person, our Sunday gatherings are so much more relational, j- just by nature, right? If you've ever hung out in our lobby at the middle school for more than two seconds, you've seen how much love and connection happen there. Hugs and handshakes, kids chasing each other around and playing games, people grabbing coffee and donuts, great conversations, people catching up on how their week has been. It's, it's amazing. In fact, I want to I wanna let you in on a little secret about our church, probably the worst kept secret in the history of our church. We don't really start at 10 a.m. like we advertise. (laughs) Well, we do now that we're online. But back when we met in person, we started every week at like 10.05-ish. And you know why? Because people are too busy connecting in the lobby to come in on time. They're too busy coming together and sharing. For almost two years, y'all, we tried everything we could think of to get people to come in on time. We turn up the music really loud. We would like say, hey, at 10 a.m., no more coffee and donuts. You can't have anything. We would put a a TV out there with a countdown clock. I mean, we we thought of and tried everything. None of it worked. And then one day, we're sitting in staff meeting talking about how do we fix this problem? How do we get people to come in at 10 a.m.? And I remember someone says, wait, why are we trying to get people to come in on time? Why are we trying to get people to leave the connection, the coming together, the sharing that they're doing in the lobby? Isn't that what we want? And it was like this light bulb moment for us, for me. I was like, yeah, that is what we want. Who cares about what time we start? We can start a couple of minutes late if people are coming together and sharing with each other so much so that they have to spend a few extra minutes out in the lobby before they wanna come in to the main gym. From that moment on, we stopped trying to get people to leave the lobby at 10 a.m. In fact, a lot of Sundays, you may know that I'm out there at 10.05, 10.08, and I hear a cue from in the main gym that it's actually my turn, and I have to jog down the stairs, jog around, go up the little stairs to get on the stage. I'm out of breath. By the time I get to do announcements, it's terrible, but it's worth it because the church is about coming together and sharing. It's who we've always been, and it's who we need to be I'm telling you right now, who we need to be right now more than any other time. And in light of all that, I want to tell you something that may sound a little bit strange coming from a pastor. Right now, in the age of social distancing, look, I believe our Sunday gatherings and our restore groups are both incredibly important. But if you came to me and you said, Zach, I only have the stamina, I'm so tired. I only have the stamina. I only have the resources to participate in one of them during this season. Which one should I do? I would tell you without hesitation to prioritize a restore group. Without hesitation. It's not even that close because we have to prioritize places where we can come together as brothers and sisters and share. We have to devote whatever limited time and energy we have to deep fellowship and connection because we really need each other right now. We need koinonia more than ever. If you don't know what a restore group is, it's just a small group of people who come together and share life. But instead of telling you about what restore groups are and all the different things that we offer, I'm just gonna take a second, I wanna tell you about my restore group. My group has been around for, I think like three and a half years or something. We started at Matt and Sue Alice Sauthoff's house in Southwest Austin. They moved to North Carolina, now they're no longer here, but I know they watch sometimes online, so Matt, Sue, Alice, and the girls, if y'all are watching, hi, miss you guys. We started there, four families, and we've moved homes, because people have moved away, we've transitioned around, but I'm telling you, for the last three and a half years, there has been no more consistent group of people in my life than that Restore group. They have become my family, because every week, we come together And we share. We share stories. We share prayer requests. We share meals. We share meal trains when people have babies. We share invitations to kids' birthday parties. We share surprise videos when people need a little pick-me-up. We share resources when people are running low. We share and we come together. Over the last two months, our group has almost doubled I mean, it's, it's been amazing. Not just because there are more people, but because the fellowship is growing both wider and deeper. One of our new folks is Val. And a few weeks ago, Val posted on Facebook about just how important fellowship has become for her and for all of us during times like these. I got her permission to share it with you. Here's what she said. If you don't have a prayer group or a church group, now is the time to find one if you're interested. I am so blessed to have found such an amazing and welcoming group of people at Restore Austin. I honestly look forward to meeting with them every Wednesday night on Zoom. For the first time since my Catholic youth days at St. Patrick's in Houston, I feel like I have a church family again. All of these amazing people treat everyone with compassion and love, even when they may be struggling themselves. It's a beautiful thing." (sighs) Val is exactly right. When we find true Jesus-centered fellowship, it is a beautiful thing. It is an unmatched thing. I have not experienced it anywhere else. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't have it in your life, especially during a time like this, you need it. And I'm not saying that because I want to say, like, we have X number of groups and we have X number of people in groups and look how awesome it is. Look how many people there are. I could not care less about that. In fact, if you have consistent fellowship in your life like this, pour into that already. Value those relationships. I'm not telling you to get out of fellowship so you can get into some other group. If you have that, pour into it. Prioritize it. I, I feel like one of the luckiest people in the world in this regard because I'm not only fortunate enough to have my restore group, but I've got this with my next door neighbors. They're incredible. In fact, during this whole quarantine time, we decided at the very beginning that we were just gonna quarantine together. We were gonna share front yards during all of this. They've got two boys that are almost the exact same age as my two boys. So every single day we're out there playing together, talking together, sharing together. They came over yesterday, helped me power wash my deck. We share things, we help each other. We love each other. It's awesome. This afternoon we're planning this huge little outdoor thing where we're gonna get all our little pools and water and stuff like that. We're gonna grill hot dogs and just have this family fellowship time. We come together and we share. If you have that in your life, invest in that. But look at me. I know I'm on the camera, but look at me right now. If you don't have that, you need it. You need it. We were not designed to go through this life, especially during Hellacious times like this alone. You need people. You need people. You need to come together and share. You need fellowship. I'm challenging you right now to prioritize people and fellowship because we simply cannot make it alone. I know, I know I've tried. It's not possible we simply weren't designed that way we were designed to come together and share. So if you don't have a place like that, I wanna ask Tech Team to put up our Restore Groups slide and information about it. You can just go to restoreaustin.org slash groups. You can see all of our groups there. Or you can just go to restoreaustin.org slash connect, fill out one of those cards that I talked about earlier. And you can check that little box for Restore Groups and we will find a place where you can have real fellowship even though maybe on Zoom right now, like Val said, it's still become one of her favorite times of the week, one of my favorite times of the week, too. If you don't have fellowship like this, jump in right now, because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if we took this 2,000-year-old practice really seriously, it would change the world. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm telling you, it would change the world, not just the church, It would change the whole world. I know that because it's exactly what happened when the first church took fellowship seriously. We just read, right, about how they were all together and they were sharing, right? Verse 44, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now look at what happens in the very next verse praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. When they took fellowship seriously, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. This means those outside of the church too. People with different religions or people with no religions at all, they had favor with. People of all different backgrounds and lifestyles and characteristics, they had favor with. People who were nothing like them, liked them. I mean, it just doesn't happen. How different is that from the reputation of the modern church in many places? Could we say we enjoy, quote, the favor of all the people? Not even close. So why did the first church have this kind of favor? Because the outside world looked at the first church and saw a radically inclusive family where everyone was welcome and everyone shared. And when they saw that, not only did they look at it and they appreciated it, they looked at it and they wanted it. They knew somewhere deep and down inside of them that they needed it. Look at the second half of that verse. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This radically inclusive family where everyone was welcome and everyone shared was so attractive to the world around it, that new people joined them literally every single day. Now, it's, it's tempting to just gloss over this verse with like a, oh, that's cool, people join the church. Every day, they became new members, they jumped into fellowship, and that, it's true, but it's more than that. It's so much more than that. It's even more than new people being welcomed into a family each day. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved those who were being saved, y'all, fellowship saves people. Fellowship saves people. God has chosen to use this radically inclusive family where everyone is welcome and everyone shares to quite literally be the means by which he brings salvation and spreads it to the whole world. Salvation came as he came down in Jesus Christ, laid his life down and then took it up again, and then he has decided to spread that free gift of salvation through this people called the church. Through fellowship. Fellowship saves people, not just someday in heaven, but right here and right now. This really matters, you guys. Fellowship saves people because it introduces them to Jesus. It introduces them to the one who came and spent his entire life coming together and sharing. It introduces them to the one who laid his life down and took it back up again. Fellowship saves people because it introduces them to the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. So I want to end with an encouragement. I know you're tired. I know I'm tired too. But please, please don't give up on fellowship. I know you're worn down by all the stuff related to COVID-19. You have content overload. You're exhausted from looking at screens all day. I'm right there with you. And it would be easy to just shut everything down and shut everyone out. In a time of social distancing, it's easy to isolate. It's easy to wanna give up. But please, don't give up on fellowship. Don't give up on coming together and sharing because right now we have to prioritize people. More than content, more than the news, more than clicks and likes, we must prioritize people. Don't give up on fellowship. The author of the New Testament letter called Hebrews says this very same thing. It's probably my favorite verse about fellowship, especially when I'm feeling tired like now and I just need some encouragement but instead of just reading it to you myself and to help us remember just how important it is to not give up meeting together, just how vital it is to keep coming together and sharing, I asked a couple of friends to read it for us. Check this out. Let us let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together. not giving up meeting together, 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 together. as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Don't give up meeting together. Don't give up on fellowship because God has chosen to use this radically inclusive family, where everyone is welcome and everyone shares to bring hope and help to the world through Jesus Christ. And we need it now more than ever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the awesome wisdom that you had to give your people this thing called fellowship, koinonia, coming together and sharing. God, I pray that like that first church, we would take it really seriously and that you would use it to introduce people to your love, to introduce people to your grace and your hope and to your son, Jesus, the one who saves, God. So I pray that we would keep in mind, God, that this isn't only for some people in the world outside of us, although it is, but it's for us too and we need it, God. Help us not give up meeting together. Keep us coming together. Keep us sharing. And help us to feel your love like never before, even at a time when we are tired and we are hurting. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.